Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. Today, in keeping with the theme of the month, I've got a story for you about being wrongfully accused. And the really cool thing about this story for me is uh, I was in a little bit of a writer's block, and I didn't know what to do for this month. And I was going through my Google Drive, and I found a folder that was a backup of an old computer. And when I opened it, I found a folder in there called writing. And inside of that, I found a folder called haunting season. And I found a story that I had started in 2013 and never finished. And it happened to do with being wrongfully accused. And so I took that story and I reworked it a little bit and extended it and finished it. And so part of the story was written in 2013 and part of it was written in 2021 pretty weird, huh? False, actually. <laughs> Sorry for the Nick Frost look. It's really early in the morning. But before this goes out, I have to uh, call attention to the fact that this uh, was an episode before. I've totally rewritten it. I've totally built out the story to be much longer, more in-depth, and, and I think it turned out a little bit cooler. But I was going through old episodes today trying to figure out what the next archive episode was going to be, and I came across this story. And so while I found it the way that I said I found it, and I really did have zero recollection of ever writing this story... I've actually released it before, but it's a it's much different. It's more fleshed out, and I think you're really, really, really going to enjoy the uh, the new the new flair to it. So, partially written in 2013, partially written in 2021, the ghosts of Mama's house. I hope you enjoy. It's difficult to remember a time when the see-throughs weren't with me. In fact, I often spent a lot of time thinking about what that would feel like. Don't get me wrong, I loved them, but like a house with too many animals inside, it could get tiresome. My earliest memory with them, I think, is about four or five years old. We would play. I had always seen them, seen through them, as long as I can remember. They'd come check on me in my bed at night. They'd watch me from the windows when I played outside. And when I played inside, they'd sometimes play along, often sitting with me, making the toys move around a little like a magic show. They were really my only friends until kindergarten. That's when I got to meet some of the other kids, and also when the strict rules started. I made my room spotless before leaving the house that day because that's what Mama expected. But when I came home from school, my toys were all over the place. Some of them neatly stacked, some of them upside down, some of them standing on end in a way that would seem impossible. I don't think they did it to get me in trouble. I think it was meant to be a funny surprise, something to make me smile. But Mama didn't like it. Not one bit. I knew something was wrong even before I got home. I knew as soon as the bus turned onto my street because through the giant flat windshield, all the way at the end of the block, at the cul-de-sac, I could see her waiting for me in her blue denim house dress, that, that smile on her face. 
that false happy mask that everyone else saw as sweet Margaret Turnable. But I knew the truth behind that smile. And just the fact that she was waiting outside meant big trouble. The bus swooped down the hill and stopped right at my driveway. Doors opening to some pleasant chit-chat between her and the driver. Got home early today, Chuck. Figured I'd walk the little man to the door. No one knew but me. No one knew that she didn't actually go anywhere during the day. She'd either be watching her shows on a good day, or plotting punishment. But there was no work. I later learned she inherited the property and a hefty amount of cash when her husband died. But none of this meant much to me. I never knew him when he was alive. I just heard stories. But also, I was a kid, so I didn't think much about it. Mama was Mama, and she lived at my home. It was only later I would start to question that. As soon as the bus was out of sight, she gripped the sides of my neck with her hand. I told you to clean up before you left for school. You were a bad boy and didn't listen to me. And there are punishments for bad boys. You know that. It was the see-through people, Mama. They always play with my toys. Of course she didn't believe me. No parent believes their child about invisible friends. <laughs> Not really. That day, I was sent straight to my room. I was to clean up, do my homework, and go to bed without snack or dinner. I don't know if you remember what it's like to be hungry at 6, but it's awful. Lying in bed at 5 p.m., my stomach would start to rumble. By 8, everything would be shaking. I didn't get much sleep those nights. Not until I really got used to it. The only thing that could comfort me were the see-throughs. They'd come in and tell me stories with the lights and shadows on the wall. This is where I first realized they might be there just for me. That wasn't the first time I had been punished, just the first time it was their fault. I mean, you know, I was six. I was always doing things I shouldn't. I tried to sneak a few carrots from the kitchen when I was hungry, or I'd play outside too long, or play too loud. And most times, when there wasn't a mess to clean up, I'd get sent to time out. I had lots of time to think and time out. Without windows, it's hard to tell how long you're down there. But long enough to get hungry, long enough to get scared, and eventually, with a lot of hard work, long enough to hear their comforting voices, which made the hours go by more quickly. All things considered, I wasn't a bad kid. In fact, as far as kids go, I was about as timid as they come. Even by second grade, I didn't have very many friends at school, and the ones I did have had a mean sense of humor. Maybe I deserved that. Maybe I sought it out. Maybe after years of timeouts and punishments for household crimes I didn't commit, the thought of having mean friends was normal, comforting. Needless to say, I never invited any of them home. Mama wouldn't allow such a bad boy to have friends over anyway. As human beings, it's so much easier to remember the bad stuff. An insult, a punishment, a fight. Somehow that stuff sticks with us more than the compliments and the gifts. You see, there were good days too. Days where Mama would let me rub her shoulders. Or she would let me go in the car when she went for food shopping. But that one wasn't my favorite in the summertime. 
one August, I got really tired while waiting for her, and she had to wake me up by hitting my chest and wasting her spring water on me. Boy, she was furious. She had just opened that bottle in the store. I didn't go on car rides much after that. As I got a little older, she started homeschooling, and I think it was being in the house so often that got me more deeply connected with the see-throughs. Early on, they'd come to me like an idea, just pop, a thought, and I could push them away. I'd be doing math, and they'd say the answer, and I'd try to do the problem myself, but they would get louder and insist, and I'd pause and squish my ears a little and take a deep breath, and they'd be gone. Early on. But as time went on, I wasn't able to push them away anymore. They stuck nearby, almost always having their own conversations that made it hard to concentrate, which made me do worse with my schooling, which meant more timeouts. I'd sit in the dark, wrists hurting, pleading with them to leave me alone. But I learned to give in, learned to listen when they wanted me to, learned to drown them out when they were talking amongst themselves, and learned to plot with them when we were in timeout. There were four of them, One was big. I didn't see that one as much, and it would never come in the room. It was always just in the hall looking from around the corner, or or standing in a corner where it's the darkest. The other three were little. They did the most talking. Almost all of the talking. They were like little balls of energy scooting around the house, trying to be quiet. But they'd sometimes bump into something, knock over a lamp or move a chair. For the most part, they were pretty careful, but they did not like Mama. They would hide so fast when she came around, leaving me as the only possible culprit. As they got more adventuresome, I started spending more and more time and time out. Sometimes my fault, but mostly theirs. It was almost like we were growing up together. I started to notice things about them, like if they did something big, like open the fridge, they would get tired and disappear for a while. But if they did something small, like make the lights flicker, they'd be around much longer. Almost like a toy that needs to be plugged in in order to charge up. The big one was always there. I think because it didn't do anything but watch. It never got me in trouble. But the little ones, they were feisty. Eventually, they started what I called the pranks, because they would do the same thing over and over until they eventually got bored with it. There was the month Mama's keys were always missing, the summer where the doors were slammed, the open windows and the rainstorm. Punished, punished, punished. And while locked down in time out, they would giggle and plot and scheme. I didn't like them so much anymore. I had grown out of playing with them, with playing in general. It was like a snap of the fingers one day. I just picked up a G.I. Joe and I thought, well, what do I do with this? I was 13. Suddenly, all I could think about was TV. I would sneak onto the landing and watch through the banister, whatever Mama was watching. And when she fell asleep, after a half hour or so, one of the see-throughs would sneak down and use all of their energy to turn the channel. One night they found reruns of the X Games and that was it. I wanted to skateboard so bad. 
was all I ever thought about after that. I imagined myself floating like the see-throughs on my magic board, the wind on my face, a cool yellow windbreaker flapping like a flag. I wanted baggy jeans and flat-bottom shoes and baseball caps, but I'd give up everything in the world if I could just have a skateboard. Those nights were the best. The nights where I really felt like I had siblings. They got me in trouble a lot, but they were all I had. And at least they always kept me company when I was locked up. And I needed it. I'd go through the kitchen and down into the darkness to my special seat. I never knew for how long. But I was a seasoned veteran now. I knew the seat better than my own bed. And down there, we could talk. Really talk. As I got older, the punishments got longer. So long sometimes that I'd wake up in my bed too weak to move until I got some food and water. My siblings and I were bonding more deeply, and while the punishments got worse, they became fewer and far between. The pranks were over, so Mama really had to look for reasons to punish. They didn't like to see me hurting because when I was out for days at a time, they had nobody to be with. And then, there was the accident. Except it wasn't an accident. Not at all. See, my siblings and I were locked up. Caught watching TV, actually, and it was like an explosion hit. We had sent the smallest sibling down to turn the channel, but instead of the channel, they slipped and cranked the volume all the way up. We bolted for our room, but it was too late. Mama knew it was me. She came raging up the stairs and down the hall like a locomotive, huffing and puffing, and threw my door open so hard the knob stuck into the drywall and my stuff fell off the shelves. There was no pretending to sleep. No time to even put my hands up. Crack! She smacked me across the side of my head so hard I saw white. Crack again, and I fell to my knees. Crack! 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 Colors everywhere. Hot, sticky syrup soaking my shirt. She grabbed my ankle and pulled me down the hall. The siblings floated shamefully behind, while the big one was nowhere to be found. She dragged me through the kitchen, leaving a red streak, and keyed the padlock as I laid there, feeling my heart beat all over. Then she tumbled me down the stairs. I couldn't move. I could barely breathe and alternating with my heartbeats were the sounds of Mama coming down the stairs, ready to shackle me in for a long one. Maybe the last one. You're gonna be one of us now, my little sibling whispered to me. I'm so sorry. Mama reached the cold, cracked cement of the cellar floor and picked me up by my hair, slamming me back into the timeout seat. She strapped in my wrists and ankles, and I collapsed forward, barely having enough strength to look up. But I did. As she reached the top of the stairs, I did. And that's how I know it wasn't an accident, because there, at the top of the stairs, as the door was closing, I saw the big one. Like a tall, dark shadow coming up behind her. And just before the door closed... I saw the flash of the kitchen knife as it went deep into the back of her head. And that's how they found me. Tied up in the basement, 
limp but breathing, on the verge of starvation, Mama's blood running down the stairs. The police took me down to the station, but I didn't know what to say. My siblings were gone. I had no one to help me explain. A psychologist or some kind of social worker, I honestly don't remember, but someone came in and very carefully explained to me that Mama wasn't really Mama. They told me that I'd been taken from my real parents when I was very little, and that they've been looking for me ever since. So I'm with my new family now, or my old family. The family I can't for the life of me remember. My thoughts are just my own, and that took some getting used to. I spent many sleepless nights thinking about how they saved me, how they kept me company in times of need. And I've come to realize that they must have always known that I didn't belong in Mama's house. And Papa must have been saving his energy that whole time just to set me free. Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg, produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond, and executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen, and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. I also wrote and told the story. Edited by Colby Crow and select music in this episode, including the final track, was made by North Innsbruck. Links are in the description. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Full episodes are available on YouTube, Facebook, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya.